Game of Thrones. Yeah, that got your attention. And why did it? Because not only does every nerd and geek love it, but all the muggles do as well. It's one of the few things that as a nerd you can openly talk about. In fact, you could proclaim in the employee lunchroom how you believe the Mother of Dragons will rule the Seven Kingdoms. Every co-worker will agree. And the ones that don't? Well, they haven't seen the show. And they will stay quiet for fear of not being in the in crowd. Remember, these .5 episodes are actually reruns of old OrcaCon pod podcast episodes that never really was shared because we didn't have an RSS feed at the time we made them. But some of the episodes were so freaking awesome we had to play them under our new format so that everyone would hear them. This is one of those episodes. In this .5 episode, we talked to Chris Pramus. CEO of Green Ronin Publishing and creator of a Song of Fire of Ice role-playing game, also known as the Game of Thrones RPG. Learn about him, his company, and how he landed the sweet licensing deal from the one true king, George R.R. Martin. So grab a hot beverage, because in this episode, winter is coming. Roll the dice. Hey, nerds! It's Geeks of Cascadia. Geeks of Cascadia. There will definitely be some that, – that's probably our best. That, that's, 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 our, that's our best feature. You are listening to the Geeks of Cascadia podcast featuring Steve Hobbs, Paul Anderson, and Joe Costa. This podcast is brought to you by OrcaCon. Pants are on. Hey, hey Orca nerds. This is uh, Blue Samurai here with uh, Paul. And we are here with uh, Chris from Green Ronin Games. Um, that's nice publishing. Blue Samurai. Yes, Green publishing. Ronin. Yes, that's right. <laughs> so, Chris, how's it going? Uh, great. I've uh, just been hanging out at OrcaCon this weekend, playing games and uh, seeing folks. It's and been you, a good time. You were here just to play then? Yes, this year. I was uh, I was a guest last year, but um, this year I just was uh, was playing games awesome so it's nice I, I love the fact that you keep on telling people look i'm just a civilian i'm just a civilian <laughs> I, uh, I i rarely get to go to conventions where i just get to play it's usually work yeah. so um you know there's a historical miniatures convention i go to once a year um and you know i occasionally will think to myself maybe i should run a game you know mm-hmm. and i was like no because then then it's work yeah. so right yeah, just right. play so. so how do you how do you do that balance i mean you you run this company that deals with tabletop games and then but you want to play tabletop games i mean i mean how do you balance that out and and not burn yourself out on it uh so really like i play a lot of miniatures games and that uh that's sort of like my hobby i guess you'd say whereas Mm -hmm. role-playing games is more like my work um so uh, i mean i do play role-playing games for fun but you know it, it it even when I'm playing a game fine or, or whatever, um, and I just find playing miniatures games a little more relaxing because I I don't view everything as you know a play test or something mm-hmm. like yeah. that. Yeah. So uh, how do you uh, how'd you start off doing this? I mean, how'd you get into to designing games and? Actually, let's go back even further. What'd you do before you de- design yeah, games? For, those, for people who, who don't know who you are, yeah. Green Ronin. 
Um, well, so I, you know, I went to college, I went to grad school, um, you know, and I worked a series of crappy retail jobs, basically. Yeah. Um, and then while I was in grad school, um, I started to do freelance writing. Uh, in the game industry, and so it was just uh, you know kind of a side thing for some years. Uh, as it tends to be, it's difficult to make a living as a freelance writer. Yeah. So, so were you into? So you weren't actually into role playing games or games before that? Oh, or, sure. I was. Uh, but okay. as a hobby. Okay. Yes, right. hobby. Okay, okay. Sorry. Okay. Continue. All right. Great. Yeah. No, I got into hobby games in 1979 when I was 10 years old. Uh, I started playing D and D, and then. I got a subscription to Dragon Magazine about 1982-ish, something like that, um, and that opened up like the wider world of gaming to me because uh, at that time, uh, Dragon was not a house organ. Uh, you know, it was a more I mean, it was focused on TSR stuff, but you know, they had articles about other games. There were ads from other companies and whatever, okay. and that's how I, I learned about Avalon Hill and you know other RPGs and all kinds of stuff. Um, so that sort of started me down the path. And then at the time, you know, when I was 12 or whatever, I was like, ooh, one day I'd love to write one article for Dragon Magazine. And that was like the, the limits of my ambition at that uh, point. Yeah. <laughs> Which I eventually did. But um, yeah. Uh, but yes, then, you know, later I, I was more serious about it as trying to make a career out of it. Um, so I freelanced for several years. Um, and then um, I decided to start my own company. Um, not Green Ronin, but my first company, uh, which was an excellent learning experience and also a disaster. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> That's the best way to learn. Oh, I know how those go. Yeah. <laughs> and while I was doing that company, um, I moved to Seattle um, for unrelated reasons. But I figured, hey, there's a lot of game companies here in Seattle. Um, and so I applied for a position at Wizards of the Coast. Um, and I got hired um, into role-playing R&D to uh, work on D&D. &D. Oh, so, awesome. And then wow. I, I spent four years at Wizards. Uh, wow, when did well, um, you leave Wizards? 2002. So was Greg Leeds uh, in there, or was it still no. Peter? Uh, no, it was Peter, and then... Um, so I was there during the Hasbro buyout, which was 2000. Um, Peter stayed on as a CEO for a while after that, but uh, Peter and the Hasbro like brass didn't exactly see eye to eye. That so yeah, at a certain point he left, and then his COO, this guy Vince, became the CEO. And Vince was like a uh, tough old Boeing executive. Oh, He'd been like wow. Peter's boss uh, when Peter worked at Boeing twenty whatever wow, years ago. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and Vince, like, was kind of a hoot, um, but on the other hand, didn't know a lot about games. Um, and so <laughs> right, right. sometimes his gruffness worked against him, I think. So so at what point you decide? did you branch out on your own, or was it a moment where they said, hey, we're cutting our staff, and you had to go out on your own, or did did you just do this and say, I'm, I'm doing my own thing? I started Green Ronin in 2000 when I was still at Wizards. And so what had happened was I spent a year and a half or so um, working on RPG books. And then they were starting a new division at Wizards to do miniatures. Um, and, you know, as I was saying earlier, miniatures guy. Yeah. Um, and so... Working in the role-playing department in that era was cool, but it, it was large, and there were people who had been working on D&D &D there for, you know, or 
Wizards and then TSR before, you know, for 20 or more years. You know, people like Harold Johnson, who uh -huh. wrote Hidden Shrine of Tomoka Clan for First Edition D&D, Skip Williams, you know, The Sage, you know, stuff mm -hmm. like that. Yeah. And I felt like, you know, it's going to be harder for me to, like, make a a mark at Wizards um, where these, mm -hmm. there's people with so much seniority over me. Sure. Whereas sure. Miniatures was going to be a brand new division. So I thought I could I could have more of a chance there. So, so I moved over to do Miniatures and then after I had been doing that for a while um, I started you know, sort of missing RPG stuff. And I thought, well, you know, I could start a side venture just to kind of like keep a toe in the RPG waters. Um, mm -hmm. And that was sort of the genesis of Green Ranine. And then um, you know, the whole idea of the open game license came along. And uh, I figured I have a... I have a new small company. <laughs> right, right. Why don't I see what I can do with that? So was uh, it a little scary? I mean, you're taking the risk here. Okay, I'm leaving my, my job, and I still have to put a roof over my head yeah, and pay yeah. the bills. But you, you took the leap, and you you did it. Well, not immediately. So my so I kept my job at Wizards for two years, okay. and I just did Green Union on the side. And, and periodically, uh, my bosses at Wizards would be like, yeah, we're not really sure about you, like, having a company on the side. <laughs> we should probably talk about that. And right. then um, I would always respond with, well, great, let's set up a meeting with somebody in HR and we'll talk about it. Uh -huh. And for some reason, like, they didn't mm -hmm. want to do that. And so <laughs> okay. that sort of went on for, uh, you know, well over a year. Um, and then in uh, March of 2002... Um, there were there had been several rounds of layoffs, you know, since the Hasbro buyout. Because it was one of those typical situations where mm -hmm. they would say like, "Oh, don't worry, you guys are great. We're not going to uh -huh. touch anything." Right, and then, right. you know, sure Until enough, they do. Uh, <laughs> they've yeah. never done that. Yeah. yeah. Although actually, in the layoffs at mm -hmm. Wizards, actually started not with um, not with Hasbro demanding them, but actually Vince, that guy I was telling you about, him starting them to sort of show Hasbro oh, that he could no. be tough. Yeah. Oh, nice, yeah, nice. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, uh, I'd be nice by laying <laughs> off people. <laughs> so there were three or four rounds of layoffs mm -hmm. uh, before I got the axe. And I remember um, thinking that of the miniatures team people, mm -hmm. I was the only one that was doing only miniatures. Um, other people on the team were doing some time in role playing, some time in card R&D. You know, so I, it struck me like, oh shit! Like, if they need to lay somebody off from this team, they could lay me off, and that only <laughs> right, impacts right. one team. Anybody uh, else, it would impact two teams. Right, right. Um, so I tried to uh, get myself mm -hmm. onto the Avalon Hill team as well, because Hasbro had tossed Avalon Hill to Wizards, basically being like, we don't know what to do with this. You guys are hobby game people. Mm, you right. Know? But too late. Uh, so I was <laughs> laid off, um, and at that point, mm -hmm. I stepped into doing Green Ronin full time. So, uh, can you? Uh, what, what's the stuff that you've done at Green Ronin? I know some of the stuff, but yeah. uh, why don't you tell the listeners there? Um, so when we start, we, the very first thing we did was actually a, like a wacky beer and pretzels RPG called Orc the Role-Playing Game, okay. where you all play like psychotic mm -hmm. orcs, uh, you know, like murdering each other um, and others. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, uh, and then um, we were, uh, our first real success was as a, you know, a D20 company, so mm -hmm. doing third edition D&D &D compatible stuff. Okay. Um, and right. that really is what allowed us to make our mark. Um, I, 
I created this uh, setting called Freeport. Um, Freeport is like a city, a fantasy city that kind of combines like D and D tropes with pirates and Lovecraftian mm-hmm. horror. Okay. Um, and uh, we d- we started with a series of modules, the Freeport trilogy. Um, you know, that sold like gangbusters. And that was one of the things that made us kind of a recognizable company. So then over the next like five years or so, we did a lot of work in that space. Um, and we also did uh, the Mutants and Masterminds role-playing game in that era, which was basically Steve Kenson's um, way of taking the sort of the core of the D20 rules, but turning it into a full-fledged superhero game. Okay. Um, and that also was a, a big success for us. And um, and then, you know, when the D20 era began to wane because, you mm-hmm. know, there was just a huge glut of stuff and, you know, sort of the, the shine came off, <laughs> as it were. Right, right. <laughs> um, then we moved more into doing um, our own uh, game lines and uh, we ended up doing a bunch of licensed work so um, I ended up uh, negotiating a deal with George R. R. Martin to do a Game of Thrones RPG. See, wow. I was uh, waiting for this yeah, particular yeah. moment. Yeah. So uh, how the heck did you land that deal? I mean, uh, that was, must... Yeah. I mean, that was not easy, I bet. So t- talk about, about that. Did you get to, Did you have to talk to the author or you went yeah. through some people? And, and well, how did you beat out everybody else? Because it's um, a hot one. Yeah, well, it was actually strangely easy. Um, <laughs> so there had been a Game of Thrones role-playing game that this Canadian company called Guardians of Order had done. And Guardians, like, flamed out spectacularly and went out of business. And so, you know, there was a point where no one had the license. And this was before the show, right, before there was a TV show. Mm-hmm. And um, And I was just, like, thinking one day, like... I, I should look into that, you know. So I just went on the internet, literally found George's AOL address on wow, his okay. website. All yeah, right. And I just cold emailed him and said, hey, I run a role-playing game company. Mm-hmm. You know, like, we're interested in licensing your books. And mm-hmm. if you would like to see some samples of the stuff mm-hmm. we've done, uh, I'd be happy to send them to you. So he wrote me back, like, right away and said, wow. yeah, send me some All samples. Right. So I knew from Wild Cards um, mm-hmm. that George was a huge comic book fan so amongst our samples mm-hmm. I made sure to send some of our Mutants and Masterminds books because okay. you know A it was comic related right. um, and B they're also some of our best looking books because they're full mm-hmm. color with you know great art and so on um, and sure enough he was mm-hmm. like oh your Mutants and Masterminds books look really great <laughs> right, you know? right, right. Um, so we negotiated two deals actually we did a, a deal for wild cards mm-hmm. um, and then after that uh, Song of Ice and Fire um and, you know, he has an agent, like old school New York agent. Sure, sure. Um, so you have to negotiate the stuff with her. But uh, you never actually, have you actually got to meet him? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, awesome. That is awesome. Yeah. We went to uh, it was New York Comic Con and he was going to be there. Um, and so we had um, we had uh, breakfast together one morning to talk over what we were wow, doing. Wow, that's so totally cool, man. <laughs> yeah. And what was funny mm-hmm. is uh, like the last mm-hmm. day of the show, Sunday, I guess, um, he was walking around the floor, and right. he'd been walking around for a while, and, and wants to just sort of take a break and sit down. He's like, "Well, do you, you know, do you mind if I have a seat in your booth?" And we're like, "Sure, <laughs> wow. sure, sure, wow. I'll have a seat." So he sat down. He and I started talking, um, and it was really funny because people would come by and recognize him. You know, <laughs> you, you know what's, uh, what's great is like people nerd out around you. I'm nerding out around you right now, and then yeah. but then here's. 
you know, here's the master nerd, you know, and, yes. you, and, you're, and now you're nerding out with yeah. him. <laughs> yes. One of the funniest things I have ever witnessed happened at that moment where um, this, uh, like, teenage... Uh, oh, sorry about that. <laughs> Cool. Yeah. Hi. Hi. We're doing an interview. Yeah. Sorry. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Thank you, Vernon Wells. Yeah, so we're, we're sitting with Vernon Wells chairs, which, which, which by the way, we, nice we promote on yes. our podcast. Yeah. <laughs> the back of my shirt. Yeah. yeah. Uh, anyway, so we were sitting there, and um, and this like young um, Japanese woman came up, saw George, stepped into the booth, and like got down. Um, and like unzipped her bag and it's like fishing around and then she pulls out like a blueberry muffin um, <laughs> and on her knees like thrusts it up at George R. R. Martin oh my goodness <laughs> like sir would you like my muffin oh. <laughs> well okay yeah, I, I almost lost it oh no <laughs> kidding very funny and George was like oh no thanks <laughs> you know why you know, I love everyone you know, our nerd culture and our, you know, being geeks and everything, we're always welcoming and we're all about diversity and openness. Yeah. Um, but in the business of tabletop game design, I imagine it's pretty cutthroat because, you know, this is not always going to last forever. You got to get the new thing. Yeah. Um, you're constantly working and hustling. How, how is that like? And, and you, you know, you got to compete with all these other tabletop game designers yeah. that are out there. Yeah. Now yeah. it seems like a t- tabletop RPG is on an upswing again. Yeah. So it's you know, there's going to be more people coming out. Mm-hmm. So I mean, generally speaking, tabletop gaming is pretty friendly. Um, you know, people are very willing to share knowledge. For mm-hmm. example, like right. you know, when I was first starting my company, you know, I asked people I knew for advice, and they were very forthcoming. You know, John Nephew from Atlas Games was great mm-hmm. about giving me some advice and things. And you know, and I try to do the same when when people now ask me about you know how we do things and whatever. You know, I'm usually happy to to share what I know. Um, and it's really only like a a handful of uh, kind of people and companies who do try to to be like tough business people, yeah. and, you know, <laughs> y'all right, like, right, cutthroat right. and whatever, mm-hmm. and they're generally not well regarded in the industry because they're kind <laughs> right. of douchey. Yeah. So, so they're uh, kind of the chaotic evil, but you're yeah. you're kind of a what, uh, neutral good uh, game designer. I right? guess. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I guess neutral good. Uh, uh, I mean, there's not a lot of, you know, laws per se in the right. game industry. It's more like common practices. Uh, right, right. So it's not like we have a, I mean, we do have Gamma, which is our trade organization, but, you know, Gamma has no, like, power to enforce anything. So, right, right. Yeah. No one's going to come at you. Like, right. You violated our standards. <laughs> <laughs> well, Chris, I want, I want to thank you so much for coming here and supporting OrcaCon. We're just such a tiny con, and, and you know, I'm sure you're bit, you're used to like big, you know, like Gen Cons and stuff. So I really appreciate this. Uh, you know, we do all sorts of cons. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, I I will in a, you know the same year do a sixty thousand person con and a mm-hmm. three hundred person con, um, and because uh, there's. There's so many cons now. Um, yeah, there really right. are, and which is great. Um, so uh, I am I'm happy to do it. And this is literally in our backyard. So. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, Paul, do you have anything uh, before we sign off? Well, Chris, people want to take a look at Green Ronin Games. Is there a website? Yeah. Uh, yes. Go to greenrunin.com. 
um, and uh, we just put out a book a couple weeks ago for mutants and masterminds uh, called the Atlas of Earth uh-huh. Prime. Uh, it's the f- it takes our sort of classic mutants uh-huh. and masterminds campaign setting from Freedom City and sort of blows it out into like the f- you know full world sort oh, of wow. thing. Mm-hmm. Wow, cool. Um, and then in a couple of weeks, our Blue Rose role playing game will come out, and it is a role playing game very much in the spirit of Orcacon in that you know it's about you know, creating diversity in fantasy. Rock so. on. That's what we right. like to hear. Yeah. Well, thanks a lot, Chris. Thank and, you so uh, much for your time. Yeah, yeah thanks you for coming on. Thanks, Chris. That was a fun interview. And thank you, geeks, for listening. You know, I have to wonder why it's cool to tell your coworkers that you love the Mother of Dragons. But it's not cool when you let them know how much you like Tiamat. In fact, they'll give you weird looks or try to ignore your strange comment. Well, I know why. Because Tiamat's evil, and everyone knows that. So until next time, embrace the nerd, and I hope you make that saving throw. Cascadia podcast featuring Steve Hobbs, Paul Anderson, and Joe Costa. This podcast is brought to you by OrcaCon.